Hi, everyone. Today's episode is sponsored by Class Hook, which is a resource that would have saved me a second lifetime if I'd had it 20 years ago. Class Hook helps K 12 teachers increase student engagement by 66% using a curated video clip library from popular TV shows and movies. Incorporating video leads to better student outcomes and is probably something you already do, but with Class Hook, it will take you way less time in finding and planning. Why? Because ClassHook's content is organized by topic, aligned to standards, and accompanied by discussion questions and smart tools to pique students' curiosity and passion for learning. Have you been searching for an engaging way to teach vocabulary? Well, search no more. ClassHook has that feature as well. One of the many reasons they were awarded a best website by the American Association of School Librarians in 2017 and ranked among ASU GSV Elite 200 companies, and they are used in over 15,000 schools. You can find ClassHook at edcuration.com. You're listening to the Ed Curation Podcast. We bring you stories from educational leaders about the instructional resources, practices, and movements that are reshaping learning. It's a little bit of social work, a little bit of science, and a little bit of passion. The most valuable resource is also their time. It just can't be wasted on fluff. But we have to be able to continuously poll our students and just give them voice. We have to pick texts that are totally going to push their thinking. Code is the new literacy. 600 years ago, most people couldn't read, and then the invention of the printing press laid the groundwork for massive increases in literacy, changing and advancing society in unprecedented ways. Today, computers and the internet are causing a similar tectonic shift. Just like reading and writing, coding has become a foundational skill. Expanding on this topic is our guest, Jeremy Keishan, the CEO and co-founder of CodeHS. CodeHS is the leading coding education platform for secondary schools. It's used by millions of students. Prior to starting CodeHS, Jeremy taught computer science at Stanford, and he has recently released his first book, Read, Write, Code, in which he demystifies the world of computers and coding. This busy CEO took time to visit and I learned so much. I think you will too. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, Christy. Excited to be here and talking with you. Yeah, we're super excited to have you here at Ed Curation because as you know, we are all about getting great resources out to teachers. And so we're excited to talk to you about both your resource and your new book. But first, I just wanted to ask you, so, Jeremy, you're, you're an expert in computer science, so you could have gone a thousand different directions career-wise right. because the world is the oyster of coders right now. Why did you choose to focus on education? The way we got into it is myself and my co-founder, Zach, we were both computer science students and TAs at Stanford, and we got into teaching intro computer science there and you know, building a lot of the tools for, for those courses. and Kind of what we just saw was that, you know, while it seems so obvious there at Stanford, like, oh, of course you could you should learn coding, you should learn computer science, you can apply it in so many ways. It just wasn't 
obvious broadly. It's still not obvious broadly, but it especially just wasn't in schools. And I think the real way we got into it was through being TAs through this section leader program, which was great. It lets the you know undergrad students TA classes, and it was a great way to to get involved. And I think we said, hey, how can we take what we've learned and kind of make this you know keep this fun, make it more accessible, bring it more to schools. Yeah, and we've been doing it since then. It's been about almost a decade. For our listeners, Jeremy, you you and your co-founder created Code HS. And for someone who knows nothing about Code HS, just give us a little bit of an overview and also talk about how you partner with schools. Right, right. So what is Code HS? Code HS is a comprehensive platform helping schools teach computer science. We do and provide free curriculum for high schools, middle schools, so students can do their coding online. Teachers can manage their assignments, manage their classroom, manage their data. So basically, you know, everything for computer science in schools, all in one spot. Basically, teachers can sign up for the site, you know, for free, and they get access to, you know, we have over 60 free computer science courses. They can start using those, customizing those how they want. And then, you know, we also will work with the schools and districts who want to build out larger programs, build out course pathways, do additional training. So really just a one-stop shop for schools, but helping to partner with them and, and build on either build and start or expand their computer science programs. It still is pretty new. A lot more schools are having it now than maybe when we started, but it's still not, you know, it's not very common yet. So you said that the platform is free. Yep. For educators. We have, yep. We have two, we have a free version. We also have a paid version for schools and districts. Okay. And then will they need professional development? Because I know that you also provide professional development, but is that Correct. part of right. the paid version? Of, is it automatic? That's part of when a school or, or district signs up. You know, we do have a lot of free resources for helping you get started and you definitely can, can do it right away. I think it, it is helpful to get, you know, training of some types. We've done a lot of virtual training this year just because of COVID, but we do right. online courses. We do kind of live sessions, synchronous and asynchronous. You know, coding can be, can be technical. It can be intimidating. We want to, you know, part of what our goal is to make it a little bit less intimidating. So it's always something I'd recommend to schools and districts, but a lot of times just there's a teacher who takes the initiative and wants to get started, you know, and they're going to incorporate coding and in maybe they're technology class or even in a different subject, or maybe they're already teaching a full computer science class. And, you know, we just, they can just go start doing it. Yeah. And my understanding is that you and your co-founder, unlike a lot of companies, you are very hands-on. You actually do a lot of the training or maybe have done a lot of the training, traveling around the country, sleeping on couches, all of the things (laughs) to teach the workshops yourself. So can you just share a success story from a particular school? I think when we were getting started, you know, we were very scrappy and we would try and get anyone who wants to use the site to do it. I do think like kind of going, getting out there and, and seeing how things are working in the classroom is really essential. You know, people are building ed tech products like we are, and they're just behind their computers thinking they know. That's that's no way to do it. And so, you know, sometimes we see it being used in a classroom and we see something that's not working right, or we hear from the teacher, we hear from the student. That's a great, you know, feedback cycle to to make it better. And there's really so many success stories. We work with public schools, private schools, urban schools, rural schools, you know, really all over. And I know we we worked with a school where we were working with some rural schools in Missouri and helping a teacher who was really excited, kind of driving the program. 
And, you know, at the end of that year, they were coding apps to like keep stats for the football team. And it kind of gives you this sense of like, oh, what you can do. We literally have had over like a billion programs ran on our site. So we don't know all the stories, but every now and then, you know, teachers will share with us success stories. And we have teachers, they were, they were a social studies teacher, they were an English teacher, and they've been asked to do it and they weren't sure. Then they come back and two years later, that's something where they're, you know, they couldn't be more excited about it and a bigger advocate. And then they're going, hey, look, I can do it. You can do it. And they're bringing in more teachers and they're bringing more students and, you know, so many more like yeah. that. And you mentioned a little while ago that this is, it's still pretty new. It's not required in a lot of districts. Schools kind of right. still have the option whether to include coding and in computer right. science. And so my guess is that was part of the motivation for you in writing the book. Am I right? Right. Yeah. What was the motivation writing the book? I feel like, again, there's... Yeah, there's a lot of coding resources out there that what this book is trying to be that's a little bit different is something that kind of puts the puzzle pieces together. You know, there could be highly technical books. I don't think that's an easy place to start. And people might want to know like, okay, what is what is coding? How does the internet work? What is cybersecurity? What is AI? There's so many topics. There's so many words you don't know where to start. And a lot of times if someone's maybe starting to teach it, they're maybe focused on one particular area. They may not see how it fits into the bigger picture. And so I think it's a great book to pick up if you're, again, if you are a new teacher, but even if you're doing it for a while, you may kind of discover a few topics that you know a little bit about that you want to learn more about. I love the book for that very reason. I am, my background is in humanities and I was an English teacher. Awesome. So I am not that person. And so I found it such an easy, friendly, unintimidating narrative read, which surprised me. You didn't kill me with like (laughs) the ones and zeros and complex formulas. I was afraid, but then I very quickly relaxed. Right, right. Thank you. Yeah, no, don't. Yeah, the idea is don't be afraid. And I actually think the fear of it, like, this is this other world. What is coding? What is technology? I'm just not a coding person. I'm not a technology person. I don't want to try. This is trying to get over that. I think there really are good arguments to say, hey, in today's day and age, we really want people to have a, a foundational understanding yeah. of code and in that technology. I think it helps put the pieces together. I think it makes the kind of the, just the discourse around, okay, what's going on in the world? You know, you read about a hospital system got hacked, a school system got hacked, you know, there's a government that get what, you know, how can you understand what that means? And I think there are some basics that a lot of people don't know. And that's, that's some of the stuff I try and share in the book too. Well, and you say, and I'm going to read to you from your own uh-huh. book, we expect people to know how to read and write, but you don't need to become a professional reader or professional writer to find those skills useful. You're going to read all the time and write all the time, whether it, that is to understand a news article or to write an email. They are foundational skills. And now that we live in a technology-driven world, coding is a new foundational skill. As technology impacts and fundamentally alters every industry in society, understanding how code works is crucial to being digitally literate. And when I read that, I wondered, you refer to coding as the new standard of literacy. Is that really true? I mean, won't there still be a large percentage of professions and fields that don't involve coding? I purposely chose a field that did not require me to do math because that is not my love. But 
Does the average person have to know coding? Right. That's a great question, a fair question. I definitely talk about it in the book. You know, will there be a number of jobs that don't use coding? I think that may be true. That may remain to be true. However, I think people are doing themselves a disservice by shutting that out because I think there's this idea that you don't even know what you don't know. You don't know what you're missing. And I have a friend and he works in real estate. He's not a coder. He doesn't know. And we started talking about some of the projects that he's doing. And, and I share a few ways that coding connects. And it turns out it connects entirely. And they're looking at, you know, you're doing data analysis. You're trying to connect systems. And people think they don't need to know coding because it doesn't apply. I would argue if they knew coding, they would see all the ways it would apply. I would flip it on its head. And we've, you know, at Code HS, we've made this blog. It's called Coding in the Wild. And we, we have different people who, you know, they use coding in different fields and they, and they write about it. And I think you'd be surprised all the places that you'd find it. And I think people who want to, you know, who their focus is within the humanities, I think be able to combine those skills with the humanities, with those skills, you know, on the tech side, that's a really powerful combination. Even if you're talking about, you know, journalism, you know, you see a lot of applications now where people are able to do like data journalism or making things interactive or understanding how to use new tech platforms for journalism. You know, that's just one field of many, but I think that you'll find applications kind of everywhere you look once you know. So that's interesting then. I think part of that question comes from a place of fear because there are a lot of people who are middle-aged They never learned coding. You have been left behind. And they're hoping that you're going to say, no, you're fine. You don't need it. But should we all be signing up for coding classes? Right. It's a great question. Again, people are different places in their life, in their career. And whether you're a student or a young student or you're a college student or you're earlier in your career or later in your career, you know, we may be moving into a world of work where it's not necessarily one career but that people are going to need to kind of invest in lifelong learning. And I think you can ask this question of what are the skills that, that stay, have staying power? What are the skills that, that may go away? You know, I think with coding, people say, okay, well, the technology's changed so fast. How, do, how does this stay relevant? The technologies may change fast, but the fundamentals are, are essential. You know, so whether it's to, should you take a coding class, I think everyone would learn something really valuable and there's different ways you can apply it. You know, maybe give it a try and, and see what you find. When I would go to classrooms sometimes and people want to know or students want to know, okay, how does this apply to me? I would ask a student to just name anything they're interested in, name any industry they're in. And then we can try and talk through and come up with, oh, how does coding apply there? Even with the pandemic, I just think on the healthcare side, there are so many ways that people don't realize that technology can help or hurt. And how do we use that technology to have a positive impact? we'd have a much better kind of discourse around how we can use the technology in better ways to solve problems, you know, bringing more people to the table. Yes, we need more people at the table. Jeremy and I talked for a while about encryption, data privacy, hacking, and other things that if you don't know what technology is capable of, then you can't participate in important conversations. And also, you live in fear, and you're at the mercy of whatever misinformation is being peddled in the press like this recent claim from a renowned physician. This vaccine will have nanoparticles, nanocrystalline particles that are actually little robots and they like little antennas. And they will have the ability 
to take your biometric data, not only your vaccine record, but your breathing, your heart rate, your activities, sexual activities, drugs that you're taking, where you travel, all of that, and then take that data and store it in the cloud. I am shook and reeling with questions. Number one being, why would anyone want my biometric data? But mostly wondering, is that technology real? Tiny robots? If only I knew more about coding. Luckily, Jeremy wrote this book. In your book, you get really basic and specific, especially in the first few chapters for for people who are not coders. So I'm wondering along the lines that we've been talking, can you give just a really quick bullet point of, so here are the things that coding can do. And here are the things that people think coding can do, but that aren't real. You know, that that those are not things that coding could do. So I think you'll find it in many, many places. You know, people may be familiar with different websites they use, different apps that they use. But I think it happens also, you know, a lot behind the scenes. It may be that you're, you know, you're following like, how are, how are things going to space? You know, for example, someone is, we're, we're programming that, you know, that's being programmed. Or how is robotics working? That's being programmed. Even something as simple as like, what's the logic behind a stoplight? You know, something like that. So I think everywhere you look, you find it. You know, you could pick a field. I think in I think in healthcare and biology, you see a lot of application, like a lot of research applications. Even if you're working in, for example, in sports, you know, people are doing different data analysis in sports. So I think yeah, building apps, building websites, kind of building or programming any sorts of technology, hardware. I talk about things later on, like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, and you know, future financial right. applications. But I think there's so many more that, you know, you'll see, you know, there'll be pieces that pop up that are that are unexpected. Is there a thing that people think coding can do or are afraid that coding is doing and it's not real? I mean, our phones are tracking us, right? Yeah, that's true. Phones are tracking you. Is there anything the Internet doesn't know about us? (laughs) I think the digital footprint that people have is is pretty vast, probably much more vast than you realize. Every time that you click or visit a website or scroll, that could be saved. It's not saying everyone saves it, but some of the big, biggest companies, they're, they're tracking a lot of stuff or they're tracking your GPS location. And what I talk about when I talk about this in like the kind of section around big data is people may go, okay, why does that matter? Why does that matter? You know, and if you're tracking your location, maybe that can provide a, a number of helpful services. But if you're tracking your location, and my location, and we track it every second. And then we track it as everyone moves around. And then we track that for everyone else as the phones kind of ping the cell phone tower, your Wi-Fi hotspot. And then you do that over a million, billions of people. Well, the why does it matter is a different question. I think there are reasons to be concerned about that. And I think that if more people knew, we, you know, maybe we would think about how we legislate and regulate around privacy and surveillance differently. People's data can be bought and resold in a way that's quite common. And probably a lot of people, if they knew, would not be not be happy about. Well, since you're talking about concerns, I right. want to know if you do you share the concern of a lot of educators and parents about the time that students spend on screen right. and the negative social and health impacts? Right. I think that's a great question. I do think it's fair to be concerned. I think you got to find the right 
the right middle ground. And in addition to what we're doing, like even with Code HS, the best way to teach with Code HS isn't to be on the computer all the time. That's not what we recommend. And you know, you want to combine working on the computer, working with partners, you know, working offline, you know, kind of diagramming and modeling. It's not, I don't think the best way is just being on your computer all the time and the teacher just being on the side. I think it should be really interactive. I think at the younger ages, it's very different. I mean, sometimes at the younger ages, we the the screen time is... The stats on screen time now it can be alarming. And I think there has to be a balance. And so I would say, even if you're doing coding at the younger ages, you can learn kind of coding and computational thinking concepts that don't always need to be on devices. And if you're going to talk about something around, okay, you have a problem. How do you break down the problem? How do you think about the logic? How do you think about the flow of a program? Or, you know, if you're thinking about something that the program's going to run in a loop, you can do work that's offline. Speaking of kids on screens and keeping them engaged, I want to remind you that today's episode is being sponsored by Class Hook. This is Joyce Ong, co-founder of Class Hook, and we are proud to sponsor this episode of the Ed Curation Podcast. At Classic, we believe that students should feel empowered and inspired by their learning. And in order to do that, their learning must be relevant, memorable, and pique their interest. We help students connect to their learning through educational scenes from popular TV shows and movies to develop engaged, lifelong learners with a greater future opportunity. Check out Class Hook at edcuration.com. Their site is free, and it will change your life. In thinking about the age of students. I'm guessing that you kind of fell in love with computer science and coding at a young age. How, what age would you recommend students start learning coding? Right. Great question. I think I started trying things around middle school, maybe trying to tinker with different websites and maybe took my first class in high school. And right now, I mean, schools are starting to teach it, you know, K to 12. What do I recommend? You know, our focus is on middle school and high school. We're probably going to work with more schools to to do younger grades as well. I think you can do K to 12, but I think in the younger grades, the intention and the goal should be how can you, you know, deliver it in a fun and friendly way where students want to learn more. If someone tries it as a first grader and they've gotten frustrated and you've turned them off from trying it for the next 10 years, that's that's no good either. So it's really different goals in the younger grades. It's much more kind of exploratory. And even in middle school and high school, I still think trying to teach it in a way which encourages people to want to learn more, kind of giving that growth mindset approach is really essential. I asked Jeremy to talk about artificial intelligence, known by the tech savvy as AI. This was his focus in college, and he devotes a chapter of his book to the topic. I find it creepy mostly because movies are always showing computers being smarter than people and taking over the world. So the question of like, how smart does it need to be to be AI? It can be pretty dumb and still be considered AI. But you know, we have AI now that's that's very advanced and can predict all sorts of things based on this, this wealth of data. I think people are familiar with like the voice assistants, you know, so that could be like from Google or Apple. You know, that's AI and that's, you know, they're doing, you know, they're trying to simulate how can a computer listen, but if you're breaking that down, you know, how is that actually going on behind the scenes or, you know, how are you getting, you know, recommendations or what's kind of showing up in this algorithmic feed? 
I think that when people have a concept of like AI taking over the world, it's like a, a vision of robots taking over the world. Yeah, they get you know? smarter than their programmer. Right, right, right. The technology develops really fast. That's not where we're at. People are building really smart and crazy robots. And so I think you should expect that stuff to advance okay. to, the, you know, to the question of like, will the robots be smarter than the humans? You know, can they pass for human? You know, these are still open questions, but I think, I mean, I would expect stuff to develop pretty, pretty rapidly. I think AI is going to continue to become more present in the society over the next decades, for sure. Well, so that kind of leads to my next question, which is just what kinds of things do you envision on the horizon for computer science? What are our students going to be accomplishing in the years to come? Right. What are they going to be accomplishing? What will our students be making in the future? I don't know. I think that's part of the that's part of it. We can't we can't really predict. We can kind of talk about things that are on the horizon or on the bleeding edge. And you know, is virtual reality going to be a thing or is that going to be a bust? Is Bitcoin going to come more to the mainstream or is that going to stay on the fringes? How does you know this remote world of work become impacted? What sorts of software tools are being used and applied in you know any field and in health or sciences or biology? And it's hard to predict the future. But I think AI, I think, I think you'll find AI in, in all sorts of places. And you probably won't be able to talk about technology or coding without talking about AI just as it becomes easier to develop. And I think that one has, again, pros and cons, like amazing applications for, you know, for health or cities or whatever it might be, but also a lot of risks. And I think we want to mitigate those risks. And AIs or artificial intelligence, it could be biased. It could be racist. So how do we how do we point that in the right direction? That's, because it's being programmed by people, right? Right, right. It's people, but it's also the data sets. And so the data sets, you know, you have to think about the data set that you're using and bringing. Back to artificial intelligence. It's not just computers getting smarter than people. It's programs taking the place of people. Like in the 2013 movie Her, where Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with a computer program played by Scarlett Johansson. I caught myself feeling proud of that, you know, proud of having my own feelings about the world, like the times I was worried about you and things that hurt me, things I want. And then I had this terrible thought, like, are these feelings even real? Or are they just programming? And that idea really hurts. So is that legit? Can you program feelings? I think that the intersection of humans and computers interacting and the interfaces around that, you'll probably see a lot of things. Yeah. So it's, it wasn't that far off. Yeah. I mean, the voice assistants are, they've gotten a lot better. Some of them are kind of iffy, but they'll probably accelerate. So what's interesting is even, so like com- computer vision would be a subtopic of AI, which is like, given an image, like how can a computer see it or recognize? And we were programming, like we would do projects when I was in college, trying to figure something out. And the cutting edge at that point was both very complex and maybe not amazing. And it was kind of pretty challenging to write projects to like identify a computer on a table or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right now, that stuff has become really easy to do. And the technology has just become a lot better. So things like that are moving moving fast. Hmm. 
Wow. Okay. So I'm wondering about, in terms of your book, what audience did you write this for? It's not just for educators. It's for anybody, right? Who should check it out? Right. Yeah, I'd say the primary audience is educators, people doing, you know, technology education, computer science education, STEM education. But broadly, I do want to make it accessible to a general audience. I think people will be surprised, surprised that hopefully it's pretty understandable and surprised where they go. I didn't, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't see how that applies. And I want to learn more. So I think that's part of the idea I want to leave people with. Yeah, I can attest to that. So the book is Read, Write, Code, A Friendly Introduction to the World of Coding and Why It's the New Literacy. And so February 16th is the big release party. Will you be in the midst of COVID hosting a big release party? I don't think it's the right time for a big release party, (laughs) unfortunately, though I wish it was. So yeah. uh, Well, congratulations. I can testify to everything you've said about the book. I am not a coder or computer scientist. I found it really engaging, really easy to read, so informative. I got, obviously, an advanced copy. So, <laughs> um, so thank you for that. I encourage you all to check out Read, Write, Code, releasing February 16th on Amazon. Awesome. So, And Jeremy, thank you so much for making Thank it- you. Yeah, and no, I really enjoyed our conversation. You can find Jeremy at jkeesh on Twitter or jeremykeeshan.com, last name spelled K-E-E-S-H-I-N. You can find Code HS at edcuration.com, where you can also find today's sponsor, Class Hook. Justin O'Connor, a high school English teacher at Central Catholic High School in Pennsylvania, says, I have found that using video clips as hooks is an invaluable part of my toolbox of anticipatory sets. For example, I was able to use a clip from Fight Club to help students understand and engage with the portrayal of the September massacres in a tale of two cities. This was easily the highest engagement day of the whole unit. What? I mean, what a juxtaposition. Brilliant. Search for code HS and class hook at edcuration.com and you'll find all of these notes and links at our podcast homepage on Podbean, along with all of our episodes released three times a month. If you like this episode, please leave us a comment or a review. We love to hear from you. Please follow and share and tune in again soon to the Ed Curation Podcast, where we are reshaping learning.